This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Less than two months ago, a sleepaway summer camp in Georgia welcomed around 600 campers and counselors. Though the camp had instituted several safety measures in light of COVID, they did not require anyone to wear masks. Within a few days of the start of camp, nearly half of the folks there had contracted COVID-19. This nightmare is exactly what many Christian summer camps feared as they wrestled with whether or not to open the summer. In fact, we devoted an article in our July-August issue of Christianity Today to this story. You can find a link in the show notes. It's called Welcome to Christian Camp's Weirdest, Hardest Summer. Many Christian camps did cancel their summers. Some canceled and then reversed course. Some held programming all summer. Now that the summer is well underway and many camps are in the final weeks, we wanted to get a sense of how this summer has forever changed the long and beloved tradition of summer camp. You're listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I am Morgan Lee, Global Media Manager here at Christianity Today. And I'm Ted Olson, Editorial Director at Christianity Today. All right, Ted, COVID and summer camp. Let us hear your gut check on this. Well, my gut check is that this is an extremely live conversation for me. I literally am back a day or two from having gone on just kind of a family camp with my daughter, just the two of us, into a state park here and camped. It's kind of our first (laughs) getaway in COVID season. And so that was interesting and exciting, but also a little anxiety producing because, man, I, I had more interaction with people during this family camp than I have had probably since March. So I was a little bit, wow, this is more COVID exposure than I had anticipated. But meanwhile, the reason I didn't take my son is that he is literally right now at a Christian camp. He is at Wheaton College run uh, Honey Rock Camp. He'll be back later this week. And we've been watching these photos uh, uploaded to the website of, of him doing some campy things and noticing, even though the camp took all sorts of COVID precautions, he is wearing a mask. So that is good. He seems to be wearing the mask around his chin. Not one neck. <laughs> and I, I am like, wait, that, that is not, I think, what was intended. They, they are like located, you know, like they're, they're only hanging out with their bunk mates. And so I, I guess you know, if they're with their bunk, their bunk people, hmm. their small cabin, I don't know if they're wearing masks for all of those activities, but it is weird to see, you know, these photos of camp with these kids with masks as they're going around a campfire yes. or, you know, packing backpacks for an overnight trip. It's something. And of course, you know, there's the anxiety of like, is he going to come back with, with COVID? Talked about what happens if he does? What happens if it spreads? That's been, been inter- yeah, we're having these conversations every day over here. But he honestly probably has talked about how excited he is about Honey Rock every week for the last year. So we were we were very eager not to take that away from him if we could. How about you, Morgan? What's your gut check on this? A couple minutes ago before we recorded, when you told me that your son or that you were getting more or less in real time photos of your son enjoying camp, I had a very strong visceral reaction to that. <laughs> Cause I don't want to I would have never wanted my summer camp experience to be documented. Exported. Yeah. yeah, documented by people that were not me and my peers. 
oh, and then transmitted back to my parents. Ugh. Anyway, but whatever. I guess people are interested, you know, are introduced to that concept from when they're in like daycare these days. But that is not the topic <laughs> to talk about today. As far as COVID, you know, Ted, when schools switched to online for the end of the year, to be honest, I kind of like felt indifferent. Like I, I kind of, I don't know, didn't feel the most empathetically towards high schoolers when that happened. But when I realized that if that had been me, I would have lost the chance to go to summer camp and to do my annual ballet performance, then I like really understood the losses of this year. So I'm really glad that your son got to go to summer camp. But I know that the camp that I went to every year was canceled this year. And it is hard to overstate how heartbroken I would have been, you know, even if I'd been able to go to camp to accommodate all the different ways that you're kind of being asked to protect one another, I think would have also been challenging. I don't even know how your son's camp is handling singing, which in my experience is a big part of camp too. Yeah, that's a but huge part. Yeah, I was very attuned to every tiny change that took place at my camp. I went there from when I was in sixth grade to when I graduated from high school. Yes, it would have felt very sad whether or not we would have had camp or not, though I cannot imagine how literally despondent I would have been <laughs> to not have camp. So I'm so sad for everyone who didn't get to go to summer camp this year. Who is our guest, though, to talk about this and to make this more of a Christian conversation than just a summer camp nostalgia? We will get into nostalgia. Nostalgia, Christian camping is all about nostalgia. Uh, but our guest is Jacob Sorensen, or Jake Sorensen, as we will probably call him during this podcast. He is director of Sacred Playgrounds, a ministry that offers research and training to camps and congregations. At the Luther Seminary website, you can read his PhD thesis, which is called A Theological Playground, a Christian Summer Camp and Theological Perspective. It's very readable and very interesting. If you're interested in Christian Summer Camp, I recommend it. A interesting free read. And he continues to publish peer-reviewed research on camping ministry. He was a contributing author, for example, to the book Cultivating Teen Faith, where he had a chapter there on the role Christian camping plays. But he hasn't just studied this stuff at a distance. Sorensen also has more than 15 years of experience in congregational youth ministry, camp ministry. Morgan, a few minutes ago, you mentioned that Christianity Today article from our July-August issue, Well, Christian Camp's Weirdest Hardest Summer. Uh, he was a key voice in that article, and we're Glad to talk to him again on the podcast. Uh, Jake, thank you for coming on Quick to Listen. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, great. Let's have a big picture conversation about all of this before, again, we dwell on our own micro experiences. Jake, tell us a little bit about the American Christian summer camp industry. How many camps are there? How many jobs do they create every year? How many people go to camp each summer? Yeah, it's a very, very big industry and an important industry. It's it's part of the larger camping industry. And the American Camp Association is kind of the leader in the larger camping world. And religiously affiliated camps account for about a quarter of camps in the country. And so the American Camp Association says that camp is an $18 billion industry. And so you can think of Christian summer camps as, as having 20 to 25% of that market share, so $3.5 billion industry. We're talking about over 2,000 Christian summer camps. When we say Christian summer camps, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit squishy because some are overtly Christian, some are affiliated with specific denominations or churches, and some are privately owned but have Christian teachings as well, kind of alongside some of their things. And some of them are historically Christian. So there's, you know, how many are can be considered Christian camps? It's somewhere north of 2,000, maybe around 2,500. And when we're talking about summer campers, we're talking about somewhere around one and a half million summer campers every summer. 
that go to our Christian summer camp. Is it growing? Is it, yeah. is it, is it, is it a growing? Cause you know, I've, I've been here at Christianity Today for about 25 years and I've seen, <laughs> you know, we've get all these pitches, you know, we've done the articles on Christian camps are in crisis. We've done it on Christian camps are growing like crazy. We've done the articles on, you know, Christian camping is kind of bifurcating. What is going on? Is it, are they, are they growing? Are they shrinking? Like what's, what's going on with this, this world? It's another complicated story, and it, it tends to go along with demographics. And so the, the camping industry will follow when there's a recession, it, it generally dips. And when there's a larger generational cohort, it generally goes up. And so the 90s were great years for Christian camping. We had a large generational cohort. We had great economic success. And then following the 2008-2009 financial crisis, camps really took a hit. And it was across the industry, but Christian camps took a little bit more of a hit. And they, they were slower to recover than the, the, the larger camping industry. There might be various reasons for this, but it, it's still the case that since 2009, Christian summer camps have progressively been increasing in summer camp attendance and retreat attendance. And so it's been very successful in the last few years, increasing enrollment. And we've seen that all the way up until last summer, 2019. And of course, this summer, it's a huge hit I and mean, a big question mark for what does this mean for the industry? And I'm sure we'll get into that. In recent years, for the last 10 years, there's been wonderful growth in the summer camp industry and specifically the Christian summer camp industry. This is a bit of a detour, but do we know some of why that is? Is that demographically driven? as well, like, you know, Xers and, and millennials having a bunch of kids that, that are going out to camp? Or is this something else going on? I mean, I know a lot of, I read your dissertation, it has a really great chapter in there on the history of camping and was a lot of anxiety about industrialization and, and kind of losing our connection to the outdoors, a lot of other factors that, that led to the growth of camping in general and Christian camping in specific. Are we seeing a particular reason why Christian camping in recent years has, has been climbing? Yeah, you 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 really hit on it. I mean, there's there's a there's a new back to nature movement, more interest and awareness about the environment and the importance of being outside, especially as as young people are increasingly spending time on screens. There's a lot of anxiety among parents. I mean, you're a parent. You you hear all of these stories about what's going to happen when my kids spend too much time on screens and and how can I get them outside? And summer camp is one of the last places left where they spend any amount of time, more than you know, a couple hours, away from screens. And it's not punishment. They're actually having fun and they're enjoying it. And, and so, so that makes it something that, that we as parents really get excited about and say, great, that's a place that I can send them. I know they're going to be safe and they're going to have a, a wonderful experience. And camps have really excellent track records in terms of faith formation and getting young people more excited about faith. And that also appeals to parents uh, in terms of Christian camping specifically. And so I think those are all factors. Uh, of course, going along with that is that we've had tremendous economic growth since the, the economic recession till this year, of course. That has allowed more people to afford summer camp and, and for summer camps to grow. And that goes along with the demographic increases among young people. We've had great growth. So my question was just around the history of summer camp and how long summer camp has really been a thing and at what point we start to see the emergence of Christian summer camp. I'm always really curious, you know, when there's a Christian version of something, what kind of what the catalyst for that was. So maybe you can talk about that. It's fun because, you know, you, you talk to camping professionals and they'll say, well, it goes all the way back to biblical times. And, you know, they'll talk about, they'll talk about Elijah going out into the wilderness. They'll talk about Jesus with his small group of disciples as a kind of an outdoor ministry experience going from place to place. But when we talk about 
the modern summer camp movement, we're talking about the late 19th century. So just, you know, as the, as the Industrial Revolution was really taking hold in the United States and, and cities were, were becoming kind of these places of squalor and, and kids were running around on the streets, there was a back to nature movement. And there was a movement to get kids out of these inner city environments. And so a lot of the early camps were opportunities to get some of these young people especially some of the poor young people, away into to upstate New York or to New Hampshire or, or somewhere else in the wilderness to, to have this outdoor experience. And at the same time, there were some, some more wealthy individuals that were starting camps and using them as kind of this educational enterprise. And so it was a very small movement in the 1880s, 1890s, and then it, it really uh, started to, to catch on at the turn of the 20th century. And all of these camps at the beginning were Christian camps. There were a few that were Jewish. There were a few that were Catholic, but mostly it was a, a Protestant endeavor to, to get these young people outside. And, and Christianity was just part of the experience. And this is where like the YMCA and, and the YWCA start, start coming out at, around that. Uh, you got around it. Period, exactly. right? yeah. so the, the YMCA was originally, of course, for, for young adults. In the, the, the late 19th century, they started making the pivot towards these more adolescents and youth. I and mean, camping was a big part of that. And so some of the early camps were, were YMCA camps. And they were overtly evangelical at the time. I mean, the, the leaders were, they were very upfront that this was a mechanism for getting the gospel to these young these young people. And that, of course, changed really in the interwar years between World War I and World War II. But that's also when the camping industry really exploded and camps started popping up all over the country. And it grew and grew. And then post-World War II, there was tremendous growth in both mainline camping and in conservative Christian camping. That's when the industry really took off. So a lot of the camps that, that you know of were founded in the late 40s and in the 50s because that was such a great time for, for camping. One of the things I'm wondering about right now is we have done, you know, some reporting in Christianity Today about, you know, like the Southern Baptist Convention has sold off two of their largest camp kind of retreat centers. You have these places where a lot of adults would go to camp sometimes. You had, you know, this history of Winona Lake out in Indiana. You had, uh, I grew up a couple years, we went to Forest Home Camp out in California. And I'm wondering, you know, are there still these getaways for family camp or has camping really shifted to youth youth camping now? It's actually the opposite. It, it really started as youth camping. Family camp was an extra thing that a lot of camps started doing. And then, of course, there were some camps that opened as particularly family camps. That was their, their goal and their, their main ministry. But family camp was became sort of an add-on to this youth camping experience. And th the same can be said with some of these adult retreats. A lot of these camps that started as youth camps saw that there was great potential in bringing adults away. And so they started adult retreat centers as well. And so a lot of the camps are not simply summer camps. They're year-round ministries and not simply for youth. Therefore, youth, families, adults, corporate groups will use them sometimes in group building and things like that. So there's a lot of different revenue streams now for a lot of these camps, especially the ones that vested in facilities that can be used for retreating. Well, I want to get into like what the loss of you know, summer programming means for, for summer camps, but maybe where we need to start with that is kind of like the idea of what Christian camp, you know, what Christian camp, especially youth camping, is for. How has that changed over time? Kind of what's the kind of current approach for, for most of these camps these days? Like obviously they do not they do not see it as summer babysitting while you know two income families work. What's the focus? Christian camping is an educational ministry of the church. 
and it's a partnership ministry with congregation and the home. I really see it as a, as a, as a partnership ministry, and most camp directors would see that as well, that they are supplementing what's going on in the home, supplementing what's going on in the congregation. In some cases, camps are more specifically evangelical in, in trying to bring in young people that may or may not be believers, try to have some sort of a conversion experience or an increase in faith that will then lead into more faith in the home and in the congregation. But, but either way you, you look at it, it's a, it's a partnership ministry in that way. There's a sense of increasing in the faith or making the faith more sure. And there's a lot of ways that the camp does this. And, and one of the key ways is simply by, by getting young people away from what they're used to. You know, it's unplugged from home. They're outside, things that are kind of normal to them, but they're also away from their parents. And that's what the traditional summer camp experience does, is it gives them a measure of independence. They can then determine and ask questions that they might not otherwise ask. Like, you know, I've always just gone to church because my parents made me. Now, do I really believe this stuff? And so for me, summer camp was the first place that I really asked the question, do I really believe in God? And started articulating it in my own words. And it was that combination of being unplugged from home, being in this very faith-centered environment, in this very relational community where we were getting to know one another really well. It was very participatory in the activities that we did and in the, in the interaction that we had. And it was also a safe space. So I was confident that I, I wasn't going to be judged or shunned for asking a question as audacious as, do I really believe in God? And so having these safe spaces for young people to ask those questions and explore their faith in new ways, that's what makes camp into what I like to call either a theological playground or a sacred playground. You know, you get to play around with your ideas a little bit. Try on new identities. Am I really this person that everybody says I am at school? Or, you know, I'm always the younger sibling. And at camp, I can try on new identities, be, be someone a little different and, and, and see what that feels like. It's a safe environment to do that. Yeah, on a very shallow end, Jake, my mom used to ask us why we would care about <laughs> buying new clothes before we went to camp. She was like, when I went to camp, I just would wear whatever I had because it's going to get dirty anyway. And I was like, no, it's very important that we go shopping before I go to camp because I really care about how I'm going to look because I'm going to be someone, I guess, someone else that's different in that place. I think it's interesting that you were talking about this being a place where you can feel comfortable questioning some of the things that you grew up in because at the same time that it is obviously more socially sanctioned to do some of that introspection, there's just like two kind of, I guess, ironies that I think about, which is one, the camp, the Christian camp that I went to at least was like very strict in many ways and hyper scheduled. And I feel like there wasn't even that much time to try to like sneak out and do something quote unquote bad during that time. And two, of course, it's sanctioned by your parents that you can go. And so there's interesting to me that it's filled such a space in our imagination, right? That it's like, yes, this is a good place for you to go and you to think and you to reflect. And people are not kind of like threatened if you say that you go to summer camp. And in fact, the opposite is also, it's often true where it's assumed you're going to kind of almost get spiritually recharged during that. I'm curious, especially for the latter, has how long has camp been seen as a place where people are going to have, you know, that camp high or the mountaintop high with regards to their spiritual life? You know, what type of research have you done that goes into the sustainability of that? The idea of the Camp High or the, the particular spiritual experience goes all the way back to those early YMCA camps. And a lot of those were single week experiences. And so, you know, there are camps have different session lengths. So some camps you go to for the entire summer and you're there for eight weeks or you're there for maybe 
half the summer, four weeks. But the majority of our Christian summer camps have a one-week session, and that's kind of the, the typical summer camp experience for our Christian camps. There is still this idea, and I, I call it a, a little bit of a stereotype that, you know, there's this, this quote-unquote camp high, which does exist because kids come home excited and they're, they're, they're on fire for uh, whatever it is, for God, for life, zest for life. And then that tends to fade over time as the high emotions of the camp experience come back into, you know, day-to-day life. It's not sustainable. People tend to dismiss the camp experience in general because there is this sort of emotional high. They would then dismiss it as, oh, it's just this short mountaintop experience. It's a brief high that quickly fades, and it's not that consequential long-term for people because we can identify this camp high. And that's really not the case. The main part of my research has been looking into What are the lasting impacts of camp? Do any of these things last more than a few weeks or a few months after the campers return home? And the answer is an overwhelming yes. There are many things and many impacts that carry on well past the camp experience. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us what what tends to pass and what tends or what, you know, even the effects are good short-term effects, but they they may be short-term. So what's more in the short-term and what's more in the long-term? So when you think of like the short-term impacts of camp, you can think of some of those things like like increased happiness or increased positivity. Young people often come back from camp smiling ear to ear. They're excited about life. They're, 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 they're happy about things. They, they, feel, they feel more confident in themselves. Things like that, they tend to be more interactive and more participatory or, or more interested in participatory learning. For example, I remember one, one summer, my kids came home from camp and we expected them to just want to go back to their video games. But instead, they like got out a puzzle and they started doing a puzzle together. And it was just, it was almost bizarre behavior. But I mean, we were soaking it up. It was great. Of course, it didn't last. They don't continue doing puzzle all the time, you know, they're playing video games. It was some of these sort of short-term impacts that you see that are really noticeable. Oftentimes they're nicer to people in the days and weeks following camp, kind of that carryover from the camp environment where it's very relational, everybody's working together to accomplish tasks, and those things tend to fade over time. The other thing that tends to fade, and this is an interesting one, is it goes along with our Christian faith, is kind of belief statements. And so most of the young people that go to Christian camp they're not duped into going. They're already Christian in some way, shape, or form. Their sense of belief might be higher or lower, but they're in general young people who have been exposed to the Christian faith before and have some sort of a desire to go to a specifically Christian camp. But at the end of camp, they end up being more excited and more sure about their beliefs. So if I go into camp and I'm doubting a little bit or I'm not quite sure about this, in the camp environment, it's really easy to believe in God and Jesus, because everybody around you does, and you're having conversations about this, and it just seems like everything is happening, and you're connecting it to the activity of God in the world. So it's natural. It's in the air that you breathe at camp. When we get back to our home environments, those increased feelings of belief and surety of our belief tends to fade over time. What tends to last is the understanding that faith matters in my life. That faith is relevant. And when we think about it, these are the things that we want to last, especially after something like a camp experience. Because think about the camp experience. You think about these young people are are in cabin groups with young adults who are 18, 19, 20 years old. They haven't been to seminary. They don't necessarily have great theology, but they're excited about God and faith matters to them. 
And that's the sort of thing that rubs off. I oftentimes hear from, from pastors or from theologians cringe when they hear some of these counselors trying to articulate the faith. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's all heresy and we're going to ruin kids. Church, you know, it's going to be a disaster. And those are not the things that last. It's not the individual belief statements. It's, wow, I can imagine myself being a college student or a young adult as a person of faith. I can imagine what it would look like to live my life as a disciple of Christ. And that being okay and even cool, even something desirable. And so what we see after the camp experience is lasting impacts on these measurements that we have about sometimes what we call horizontal faith, this faith that matters in the world, faith reaching out to the world, and also connecting to Christian community, seeing the importance of Christian community, including things like Christian small groups, church attendance, the importance of having Christian friends. And we see these impacts not just three, four, five, six months after camp, but in one of the studies that we did up to five years after camp, we can see clear impacts on the increased attendance of religious small groups and church attendance in the young people that went to camp in comparison to those who did not go to camp. And that's where we're talking about really significant long-term impacts. This episode is brought to you by Preaching Today. Are you tired of chasing down quality sermon illustrations? Need fresh ideas for helping your message connect? Each week, Preaching Today adds fresh content to our database of over 14,000 editor-screened illustrations. Quickly find the right story that will bring your message to life and help your people move closer to God. Get started today at preachingtoday.com. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m. we're we're in in our synagogue praying and sirens go off and and they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, Every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come come here? Why? I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I I didn't come home. But all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. I'm just trying to think of like what separates that. Like I said, I've got a son who's at you know a group camp, and I've got a daughter who I took out, just her and me. <laughs> I'm thinking about the, the kind of the old line in Christian music. It's like, well, there's, there's not Christian music. There's just Christians who make music. It seems like Christian camping is pretty different, where it's like, there's not just Christians who camp. There's like programmatic things that are done at camp. I'm wondering how that may have shifted over time to kind of focus on some of these changes you're talking about. I know a little bit because I know like one example from my son's experience at at Honey Rock is I know that they moved kind of the bonfire from the end of camp 
to the beginning of camp where you have, you know, kind of the, whether it's cathartic or whether it's, you know, when, when I was growing up or when my parents were growing up, there's kind of this classic thing you would do, you know, the bonfire. And sometimes you would have like the stick that you wrote your sins on and throw them into the fire, or you would have kind of a, you know, a big cathartic final, final big bonfire. And Honey Rocket always moved that earlier up to kind of have a kind of a big moment or a group moment. This year, they're not doing it because they're not doing an all camp campfire. They're having small bonfires around the camp. But in any case, they, they do move it forward so that you know, part of it part of it was it's camp's not about the mountaintop. Camp is about that kind of the vision of discipleship and walking with Jesus long term. I am curious about how some of the conversations that you've had and, and what you've what you've seen programmatically change at camps in the last few years. You bring up a really excellent case example with with Honey Rock, a camp that's in the evangelical tradition, but is very attuned to educational theory and very attuned to research about camp outcomes and the camp experience. And there's a reason that they shifted the experience around a little bit. One of the major differences between the evangelical community and the mainline community is that the evangelical communities focus on kind of the conversion moment compared to maybe the mainline focus on Christian nurture over time. There's not necessarily a moment where you go from being someone who wasn't saved to someone who was saved. The evangelical community, there, there still is that emphasis on that moment or that decision, maybe, and, and kind of making it public. And camp has traditionally been a place where that sort of commitment has been easy to nurture (laughs) among the young people. Camp, because it's such a powerfully evocative experience and it's so relational and it's so moving, you can get almost anybody to stand up and say, yes, I will commit my life to Jesus Christ. It's hard to know, is there going to be the follow-up? that we would expect in a congregational community that would be more typical of this, this evangelical moment where you have a pastor or other adult mentors to walk alongside these people long term. Some of the research that we have has shown that this, this moment when it happens at the last campfire on the last night at camp isn't necessarily what we were hoping for. And so adopting a more discipleship and nurturing approach and not approach that just leads up to this final climactic moment there's some indication that that might be more effective in long-term discipleship. So again, seeing ourselves not as the end all or the, the crisis conversion moment, but as people who are walking alongside these young people at a specific time in their life, and we're partners with the home and with the congregation, and understanding those two places as, as, as the primary spaces of faith formation. And how can we help in these young people's Christian formation? That's kind of what I would, what I would say in the specific case of Honey Rock. But I would say that in the evangelical community, the kind of the last night, who wants to commit their life to Jesus, that's still pretty common. And, and some of them will still count, you know, kind of the number of people that were, quote unquote, saved in the camp experience. One of my friends has done some work. He's Kenyan and had done some work doing a church-based camp outside of Nairobi and now works out here and is at that Honey Rock camp. And yeah, it was interesting to hear him talk about the ways in which Christian camping there was really focused on these kinds of rites of passage experiences and reorienting them from kind of local family and tribal traditions, still keeping strong rites of passage experiences, but making them being initiated into the church family and it being very much seen as this church partnership much more i think than even than even you would find now it seems like to it seems like to me and this is just my observation it seems to me like camps were more tied to churches and denominations over time back in the day 
And now most of these camps that, I, that I'm aware of seem to be independent. They may have denominational history or they may have a connection, but they seem to be their own kind of Christian camp where the camp director is kind of the, the main guy. He's not necessarily reporting to a denominational leader or, or a pastor. Is that kind of, is my perspective on that about right? Or is that part of what's going on? There is that stream for sure. There are some camps that have have maintained a very strong connection to congregational ministries and to their denominational teachings, so to speak. And there are some that have showed a, a, a trend away from these congregational ministries. That has been the result of multiple factors. But one of the things is some of the congregations have struggled in recent years. They've struggled to have retain young people. If they are not sending a lot of young people to their camps that they're members of or owners of, then the camps tend to look elsewhere for their ministry. That tends to lead them away from these congregational ministries. But it really depends on the director and how the director sees the mission. And that's one of the the intriguing things about the camping industry is the amount of power and authority these individual directors have over the faith formation of young people in a wide area. And so some of these some of these camps are, are serving 100, 200 congregations in a, in a large geographical area. And depending on who's there as the camp director, it, it really can make a difference in the faith formation of young people in an entire area. And sometimes that's the case for a specific denomination. And of course, there are some camps that are get people coming from all over the country. And so they're not really regional camps, they're more national camps. And so it really does vary camp to camp. And you've done a lot of research on camps as yeah, especially tied to churches for purposes of confirmation as well. Yes, I have. That's been an interesting piece of the, the the puzzle, looking at how does the camp experience fit into this larger program of Christian education and faith formation. It gets a sense of the partnership. I've also looked at the, the camp experience as it fits in with other Christian experiences as well, both evangelical camps and mainline camps. So I think it's pretty clear by now that I am a Someone who camp did a really good job serving, at least the very particular one that I went to, which was an Awana camp and tended to draw people who were other Bible nerds and wanted to approach their faith with the same seriousness. So, yeah, I'm very I'm someone that's very thankful for my experiences at camp. But Jake, well, who I want to talk about right now is according to your research, what have you learned about who are the people that kind of end up getting left out by camp or who camp has not actually served very well or maybe have left with increased feelings of marginalization or frustration because the kind of camp subculture that was set up didn't really accommodate or provide for their needs? Yeah, that's a that's an important question and an important issue because one of the key characteristics of a successful, effective camp is that it's a safe space. It has to be a safe space for a person to be themselves, but also to explore who they are. When a camp adopts a certain ideology of maybe some some groups of people, specifically the the LGBTQ community, I think now you know that being not not right, then it's it becomes an unsafe place for people who are exploring their identity to even consider something like that. And that can be a real turnoff to Christianity in general. We really have to remember that, that, that when the campers are playing with their identity at camp, it's not set in stone. Saying, no, you can't do that can oftentimes be a way of just shutting the person down. You're not going to have a conversation with them and they're not going to be open about their faith. They're not going to have a positive experience. Some camps, particularly those in more conservative circles, 
have been unwelcoming and, and overtly unwelcoming to people in the LGBTQ community. And that's been really hard for me to see. It, it seems clear that it's because of how politicized the issues of gay marriage and ordination of homosexuals in committed relationships has become in, in the national scene. Some camps have made this a dividing line. I've seen some people really, really hurt by some of these camps and, and honestly leave Christianity because they see it as, as hateful. I like to think that's the opposite of what even these very conservative camps are trying to do. They don't want to chase people away from Christianity. Because they are such safe spaces for people, and they're really seen as a place where I can be somebody new, I can talk about things, I can express opinions that I might not feel comfortable doing elsewhere. Maybe I've never felt safe anywhere else to tell someone, for example, that I've been abused at home. And camp becomes a safe place where I feel finally like I'm able to share that with somebody. And so as a camp director, I had multiple experiences of sitting with young people who were telling for the first time their story. And then working with them to help them have a safe home environment. Oftentimes working with social services and so forth and getting these young people help for the first time. When young people are exploring other things, I mean, everybody can agree that verbal, physical, sexual abuse of children is, is, is terribly wrong and camp needs to be a safe space away from that and we need to report things like that. I'm curious historically also about racial and ethnic issues as well. We, you mentioned briefly some of the origins of camping were anxieties about urbanization and about city air and just kind of what the industrial world had, had done. The anxiety that you know, urban kids especially were you know, missing something important about kind of being human and being connected to the great outdoors, that was seen both as a kind of a general anxiety and also also there was a Christian aspect to it as well. I'm curious, when camping started as a way to get especially urban kids back out into nature, was that largely focused on you know, white urban kids? Was there a racial focus early on? Or I know that there are a number of places where kind of an urban focus had an aspect where white, white and black kids were more together than, than white and black adults. What were some of the racial dynamics and what, what kind of are some of those racial dynamics now? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That's such an important topic because camps have historically and currently, by and large, and this is, this is, a, this is a big generalization, but the industry as a whole has been largely a white middle class and upper middle class phenomenon. Those are the folks that have had the opportunity historically to attend camp and to have positive experiences at camp. Now, it is very true from the earliest days in, in the camping industry that there were camping movements that were bringing young immigrants, people of color into the camping experiences. And that continues to, to this day. There are some camps that, that intentionally reach out to minorities. It's also the case that throughout the camping industry, not just in Christian camping, but throughout the camping industry, there is underrepresentation of people of color in both leadership, but also in campers. That was actually interesting to me, Jake, when at the top of this discussion, you had mentioned that the number of people participating in camp had been growing. And that had made me wonder if that was partially because the camps themselves were really intentionally trying to reach different demographics or if they were just trying to reach more people in the same demographic that had previously not picked camp. What do you know about that? I think it's both and. I, th I think camps legitimately are trying to reach out to people of color and they don't always do it very well. Because in most cases, our camp directors are 
overwhelmingly white and our camp boards are overwhelmingly white. They really are trying and it's really hard to start from a place of very little diversity, reach out to diverse communities. And there's also the problematic history of summer camp. If your parents didn't go to camp, you're less likely to go to camp, especially in the African-American community. Camp and even outdoor spaces have been seen as unsafe. There are some really interesting research pieces and books about about this and why that is the case in America. You can also look at some of the histories and it's really hard to to see camps in, in the 60s and even the early 70s where they were having blackface dramas weekly that camps refused to integrate in the 60s, you know, because that was such racial tension and civil rights was such a big divisive issue in the 60s and early 70s. And that went into the camps as well. Just like today, we see that with LGBTQ rights. People draw lines in the sand and that spills over into the camping community for sure. We have talked a lot about trends in camping. I do want us to, we ostensibly started this as a COVID-19 camping. <laughs> it goes we back there probably, today. broadly speaking, what are the anxieties you're hearing? As Morgan mentioned at the top of the show, we've seen camps do everything. We've seen camps do everything from saying we're opening up and praying for the best. We've seen places do a lot of measures. We've seen the camps completely shut down. And then we've seen, you know, a few camps open up and then say, whoops, we shouldn't have done that because lots of people got sick. What are you seeing happening with Christian camps? And what do you think the effect is going to be of COVID on Christian camping? Such an important topic. And I know it's why we, why we're here in the first place, because this has been a very difficult summer. We've got camps that have been open continuously, even through World War I and World War II, closed down for the first time this summer. It's been a very, very difficult time for the industry as a whole, including secular camps. And Christian camps are, again, caught in this political environment where the ones that have constituency that tend to be conservative have been under a lot of pressure to open up while the ones that have constituency that tend to be more progressive, more democratic-leaning, whatever you want to say, have been under pressure to close down. And so that really has played into this and made it very difficult for camp directors to make a good decision for the health of their, their camp community. And ultimately, it's been well over half of Christian camps have either shut down completely or decided to do limited programming, for instance, just family camp. And so some of the camps in our area are saying, we're open for families to come, but we're not going to have any sort of traditional summer camp on summer camp experiences. The ones that have been able to open or have chosen to open have usually been in either rural areas, rural states, or places that do not have any sort of a statewide restrictions. And so the camp that you mentioned at the top is from Georgia, of course, politically there. There's a lot of pressure for, for people to open up. I have heard of very few camps that have had as many as 600 campers on site at once. Among the camp directors, most would consider that not a very responsible approach to the current pandemic. The ones that are opening up are, are doing so at limited capacity. They're limiting the number of campers per cabin, requiring masks. There's a lot of responses that people are having, and a lot of them are very creative. So even the camps that are quote-unquote closing down, they're doing some incredible ministry and really looking to reach people in, in creative ways. Just as an example, I can think of a, a camp that I've worked with in, in, in the past that when everything was shut, beginning to shut down in mid-March, they had already hired 
you know, a significant portion of their summer staff and committed to hiring them. And instead of just shutting down, they said, we're going to do this, we're going to open and we're going to hire all the people that we said we were going to hire. And if we are not allowed by the state to, to have people on site, then they'll work deployed. But we're going to pay these people. And people came out of the woodwork to donate and make sure that camp could happen in some way, shape, or form. And so the expenses for these staff members were covered, and they were now able to offer virtual camp experiences free of charge for all any anyone who wants to participate in these virtual camp experiences. And so camps are doing a variety of things. The first time I heard about virtual camp, I just, I almost recoiled. You know, it was one of those things where it's like, that is not okay. I do not like the idea of virtual camp. It goes against everything that camp stands for. And then I had to kind of back off and say, okay, what do you mean by that? You know? <laughs> And, and these camp directors and, 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 of course, summer staff and program directors are incredibly creative at some of the things that they're doing. Now, there are some that are trying to do some sort of a cabin group thing. And, you know, I just I'm not sure how these things are going, but I, I can't imagine my kids, you know, in middle school and high school, they are much less elementary school sitting through, you know, a cabin group online and trying to be engaged in that over the course of a week. But most camps aren't trying that specific thing. What they're trying to do is they're, they're giving activities and people would go outside and then do a, a scavenger hunt in their, in their area, wherever they are with their family. And they'll come back and they'll report or they'll say, I found this, or they'll show pictures sometimes. Sometimes it's photo contests. And sometimes there's actual rewards that kind of like what they would normally give at camp. And so they get camp swag in the mail. Some of them are doing camp in a box. And so they're sending kids arts and crafts supplies and, and other things that they can do, outdoor creation sort of uh, experiments or interactions and, and different things like that. So they're, they're being really creative and, and engaging their constituency in, in, in really interesting ways. And so I, I continue to be impressed by our professionals in the, in the camping ministry industry. And then some are just doing virtual campfires and things like that. So they're gathered around the campfire at camp and they're doing the songs and you can participate via Facebook Live or Zoom or whatever they're they're using, and you can participate that way or hear the camp songs. And it's a way for people who have been there before to connect to that powerfully evocative experience, miss it, and want it again. And you know what? When we're able to gather again, this is going to be a big celebration. Jake, I, I do think we need to wrap this discussion. So I'm just going to sneak in one more question before I do that, which is just to say, what do you think are the long-term effects of this idea of camp not necessarily having to be an embodied experience? You know, do you imagine this ultimately as being something that people say, remember during the time of COVID, this is how we did things and it feels very much an anomaly and part of this era that we're in? Or do you think that this will have long-term effects on what camp looks like? I'm certain that the pandemic and this experience will have a long-term impact on the industry. Whether it will be, oh, now everybody's going to be doing virtual camp alongside in-person camp, I, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. I hope that doesn't happen, actually. I think that some camps will want to continue some sort of virtual connection. I'm really hopeful that the way that they'll do that is with ongoing communication. And so if you if you now have these platforms and these ways to to keep in touch with people long term and to facilitate involvement and engagement long term, what an incredible gift that you can give to the campers who come in person to be able to interact and stay connected and and maybe do devotions and things like that together when they're away from camp. That can be a really powerful thing to keep the camp experience going especially in the absence of regular church attendance and, and other things like that. And so that, that's my hope. But I really think what this, what this pandemic is teaching us is that we need camps more than ever. 
we've got young people who are now learning virtually. It's just not as good. It's it's really hard for these young people to sit in front of a screen and try to stay engaged and, and try to learn in these ways. There are some kids that really thrive on that, but but most need that in-person experience. And so as as things have already been going more and more online and young people have been more on their phones and you've got 10-year-olds with with cell phones and, and they're basically computers in their pockets and camp is one of the few places where they can get away from all that. I think we're learning that we're going to need camps more than ever uh, when this is all over. Well, thank you so much, Jake, for this really fascinating look at an institution that a lot of us really care about. For people who have feedback or have camp stories that they want to share with us, please send us an email. We're at podcasts with an S, podcast at christianitytoday.com. We are also on Twitter at CT Podcasts. All right, now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments. And normally I ask people to share something positive that has been happening in their week. But this time I thought it would be fun to ask people to share a positive or otherwise heartwarming moment from camp that can have happened at any time, I guess, in someone's life. You know, I was supposed <laughs> to put better parameters on this, but I didn't. So I'm sorry for failing everyone. All right, Ted, I hope you thought of something. Yeah, you know, I mean, when he first pitched this to me, you know, doing this as a precious moment, I was like, well, you know, a lot of my memories, you know, some memories that were not like wholly positive. You know, my family did Forest Home year two, and then, and then we kind of decided, you know, that's not really our thing. This was me growing up when I was a kid. Let's do family camping. So we did that. And then as I got older and had kids of my own, we did, did another kind of family camp at a formal kind of Christian camping thing with programs and stuff. And we did it. And we said, yeah, we're kind of, you know, we're car camping family. Just get the four of us in our tent. And I was thinking about that. And I'm like, but you know what? Actually, my most formative experiences, I, I keep thinking about these independent camps that we went to. Church in Hawaii did youth group camping, you know, very much church-based, congregationally based camping. As we were talking through this podcast about that, you know, making the faith your own or being able to explore, like, is this what I really care about? And also, I think to some degree, even like finding a community, like really spending intense time with other kids who are also asking some of these same questions and exploring it and having a great time with other kids who are being very, very serious about their faith beyond just kind of like youth group night. Our church had a very intense kind of youth boot camps, kind of too strong of a word, but it was kind of like we had a youth pastor who was like, oh, I got these, you know, kind of high intensity, high commitment kids. Like, let's see how far I can push this. And so we went out, memorized whole books of scripture and read a fair number of kind of fairly significant books and also did a lot of wilderness camping. And that was hugely formative. I mean, that, you know, definitely would not be who I am today without, without those experiences. Interesting, you know, that that did that for another couple of years and then kind of stopped. He's like, I got a different batch of kids. I got some, you know, newer Christians or some kids that are not as intense or some kids are kind of like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm, but, you know, mostly I play basketball. Couldn't do that kind of intensity camping. So we do different kind of camping now. But it's interesting to see, you know, how much kind of small group dynamics of who you're with you know, matter a lot. Not everything can be programmatized. But that's my, yeah, yeah precious moment. Thinking about that, very grateful for, for those camping experiences I had. How about, how about you, Morgan? You mentioned Awana. What was your moment? Well, the sad thing about my the way that my memory mark works is that I am not really good at pinpointing specific things. But, because I can just describe like feelings or things that happened. I will say, you know, camp games end up being a big part of how you just interact and get to know other people at camp. And my favorite game that we played every year was something called the Last Chance Relay, which involved every single person on your team. I think there were usually about, in high school, I don't know, 30, 
40 people on each team. I wish I remembered. I should remember these things. And you were also combined with the junior high team and the relay. It was one of those things where like the relay setup probably took like an hour. And there was also a team meeting where everyone had to volunteer for particular positions. And then the actual relay itself, I don't know, took something like it, it took like 30 minutes until you got to like the eating portion of it, which I will say that I strongly condemned <laughs> the competitive eating part. Competitive of it. eating is a weird part of of uh, some some camping culture. That is itself youth camping. I youth camping and don't love it. It's, it's also part thing. of like youth group culture too. I yeah, it is. Not a fan, but that was indeed how camp would often end with competitive eating, which let me just say it did not matter how big of a lead. That was a a crucial part there. If you were one of these people tasked with eating, I don't know, whipped cream and pie or something else that was extremely decadent. It wasn't usually gross. It was just a lot of food. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And it happened every single Wednesday night. And I just remember always feeling like a buzz off of it. I'd be very pumped about just the entire thing. And there were some years in which the person who made the camp video got the camp video of the relay up within like an hour of when we were doing that. So when we went to chapel afterwards, we got to relive the whole thing. Then at some point, for whatever reason, he stopped doing it. We had to wait a whole nother day. And I remember being so crestfallen because instant replay for a relay is freaking awesome. Yeah, dude, that's great. That was something that I really loved. All right. People can find me on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. Ted is on Twitter at Ted Olson. Jake, do you have a memory that you want to share? Jeez, I get to share too. There's so many that I could share. I've been in camping a long time and I've got to see so many cool things. So, okay. The one that comes to mind involves underwear on the head. Um, <laughs> and it was it was this group of boys that... I remember watching, I was the director at the time, and there was this one boy that was clearly just not fitting in. And it was, I don't know, the second, third day of camp maybe. And he was just like off the wall crazy. Just like doing all these things. And the other guys were like, why are you doing that? You're so weird. And it was just like, clearly the counselor was having a a little bit of a challenge here. And then, you know, they were getting ready to go to to the dining hall or to whatever. They they were going to to an activity. This kid was nowhere to be found. And then he comes out of the tent and he's got underwear on his head. And the other kids are just like, what is wrong with you? You are so weird. My goodness. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And it was clearly that, oh boy, this is is a tough situation. And, And so I watched the counselor go back into the tent calmly. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Comes out with underwear on his head. Nice. And the other kids just like, they kind of give that, you know, that the way that dogs look at you when they're really confused and they go, <laughs> trying to do the head and they all go, yeah, and they, they run back into the tent. They all put underwear on their heads. And for the rest of the week, this entire cabin group of wow. kids is running up and down the valley of camp here with underwear on their heads. And it becomes just part of what they did. And I got pictures of this cabin group. It was, it was a way that they bonded together. This young kid, again, somebody who was on the outside, finds acceptance. And, <laughs> and these other kids that, that might want to just shun somebody else find, hey, there's a way to incorporate these people, people that are different from me, yeah. uh, into a community. And it was, it was a beautiful moment. Was this um, junior high boys that we're talking about? Yeah, it was like, it was fifth or sixth grade. Yeah, okay. like sixth grade probably. It yep. definitely fits in the category of like, I remember sixth, seventh, eighth grade boys who also like refused to take showers the entire week. I feel some of those vibes too. It's freedom for many people. This is, <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is discovering who you want to be. And, 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 and yeah, sometimes you want to be completely gross. Jake, where can people find you? They can find my website at sacredplaygrounds.com. They can find 
me on Facebook or Twitter at Sacred Playgrounds. Well, that is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Quick to Listen. It's produced by myself and Matt Linder. The transcript is done by Boone Nishola, and the music is by Sweeps. If you would like to send us a story of how you feel about Christian summer camp, you can do so by going to podcast at christianitytoday.com. Send us an email there. If you want to rate and review the show, go to Apple Podcasts, but the podcast is also available wherever you get your podcasts, and we will see you all next week. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.